You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Voice of Islam. It's Sunday, the 28th of August. The time now is 10 6. This is the Weekend World Show with Asan Ahmadi. Listen to Voice of Islam on DAB radio, mobile, or online 24 hours a day. The Weekend World Show, a current affair show with the week's news, reviews, and reviews from a faith and non faith perspective, promoting the message of peace and unity, discussing religion, politics, sports, and topics of faith and spirituality. A message of Islam for the West. Join us and share your views by phoning on 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests and not just the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. My co-host, as always, is Willie Ahmed, the Chief Librarian at the Beth of Mosque here in Morden and editor of the Ahmadiyya Bulletin. Uh, good morning, Willie. Assalamu alaikum. We're uh, still on hot, sunny weather. The summer is still here. Mm. Uh, we had a poor summer this year, have we not? Waalaikumsalam, yes, we had a very wet summer in mm. many ways, yes, mm. so uh, we had that couple of days of uh, summer. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, yes, just one or two days, and um, it may have returned today, but uh, the uh, forecast is that there's going to be showers. Oh dear, yes. what, today? Yes, oh there were certainly showers yesterday. That's, there certainly were, and, yes. and, and they were quite persistent, mm. but uh, hopefully there's an Indian summer, as they call it. Uh, what's, it, to do what's, with, it, what's an Indian summer? I don't know, but it's nothing to do with India, by the way. <laughs> it's something to do with the Red Indians, I believe. Oh, but, I see. But it's the, it's the prolonged summer, uh, or the late summer, they say, uh, oh, where the weather remains hotter. And I've noticed, when I first came to England in, in the 60s, late 60s, September was a time of winds and leaves dropping and everything. Nowadays, that happens in October, stroke November. Mm-hmm. So it's already delayed anyway. Yes, I mean, uh, the weather's properly... Warming. Yes, absolutely. Properly messed up the weather is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. Even in Mecca, they had hailstorms yes. and thunders, not just one day, but a few days. So, yes. Uh, things they've never seen before. Yes, there was a video uh, of that passing around, and that was it, really yeah. quite, quite, quite uh, frightening. Quite, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was quite frightening. Very, very frightening yeah. Absolutely. People were actually blown away. Yeah. Last show, we, we mentioned something about truth. All truth passes through three stages, as mentioned by Arthur Schop, Schopenhauer, a German philosopher. And he said that the first stage is, is ridicule, second is violent opposition, and third is the acceptance of it. Now, uh, recently, there's been some very hot debates. It hasn't damped, the, the weather hasn't dampened those, <laughs> those haters of Ahmadiyya, unfortunately. Mm. But they were out in Hyde Park debating with Ahmadis and etc. So there's a lot of uh, uh, debates going on. And, uh, and one thing was very evident from those, that when you listen to the anti-Ahmadiyya preachers, um, hate mongers, some of them you could say, that they do not take the exact wordings, they twist it, they take the, the, the worst meaning of something, because Arabic is very rich in, mm. in, in root meanings, that has many meanings. Mm. Um, so it's again that twisting of truth, isn't it? That, mm. uh, and fake news is so common now, uh, made famous by Donald Trump, and uh, he's the master of it, if mm. you, one could mm. argue, mm. especially with his uh, 
uh, mugshot now, yes. now available, which he's promoting now uh, as part of his campaign. Everything's so commercialized in America. Yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. absolutely. Mm. But, but the truth gets uh, uh, twisted a lot. Mm. And, mm. and uh, you know, what you see on the news and social media, etc. So you can't trust everything that you see. No, no. Some people are just blinded by the truth. That's the, that's the issue, I think, with uh, what you were mentioning earlier about none of these twisting certain things. They mm. just can't see... Uh, and uh, they feel drawn to distorting what they are seeing mm. in order to fit their understanding of, uh, of what the truth is. Mm. And that's what's, so, well, that's what's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. We'll look into that in the show later on, inshallah. Uh-huh. Um, but what we have in store is that we'll go through the news review with Azhar Amdi shortly, mm. and that will be followed by your faith mm. in focus. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, at 11 o'clock, uh, we'll be joined by uh, Rahil Ahmed, mm-hmm. who has been involved in some of these debates. And so we'll get an yes. insight from him, mm. what sort of things are, has he come across and, mm. and how do we deal with some of the issues. Mm. Um, and uh, Daniel will be joining us as well. But mm-hmm. we're continuing with the questions we were asking about predestination. Uh-huh. And we only got to one question with him, and, and even at that, we, we sort of skimmed through the question. So we'll we'll try to see if we can mm. get to the bottom of that as well. And then Shahid will be joining us for the sport, uh, discussing okay. the Premiership as all, uh, uh-huh. always, as well into the season. Uh-huh. Something you always look forward to, mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the forthcoming World Cup in okay. October. So uh, we won't be discussing Spanish football. Oh, Azza will discuss that uh, oh, okay. in his news review. So yes. Oh, Yes, that, that needs to be discussed um, yes. because there's many uh, sort of uh, mm. bangs to that story. Yes, it's, you know? it's, it's doing the. Um, it's uh, actually um, leading the news bulletins at the moment mm. Uh, mm. with uh, most of the news outlets. So I know. It's, it's become quite a big issue, particularly with Rubiales. Yes, defying <laughs> exact. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 yes. no, but, uh, yes. several times. So. Yes. yes, so all of that will be in the show today. And mm. anyone listening in, um, please do contact us on 0208 to give your views or share a story. And you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK, Voice of Islam on Dab Radio, mobile or live stream it on voiceofislam.co.uk forward slash live. This is the Weekend World Show with myself, Hassan Ahmadi, and the views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. Right, Waleed. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, we've got Azhar online. Assalamu alaikum, Azhar. Jazakallah for joining us. Azhar, lots, lots in the news. Yes, lots in the news. Uh, but we're going to start off with the killing of, uh, we say the killing of, uh, you gave me Prigozhin. The death of, yes, exactly. <laughs> now, uh, all fingers uh, from Western leaders and politicians have been quick to point the fingers at Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, that they say that he has assassinated Yegevni Prigozhin because of what he did, which was a rebellion or a mutiny, they were saying, which only lasted a few hours. Um, but uh, eventually uh, they say they got rid of him, which is what Putin always wanted to do. Are they correct? Was he removed by Putin? Or, or, uh, or And if so, was Putin justified? And uh, what are the implications? What, what's your angle on this story? Yes, so the, whether uh, Mr. Putin was involved or not, mm. I mean, he's the head of the Russian state. He has to take action 
against insurrection or sedition or rebellion or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. mutiny. Mm-hmm. So this was definitely an insurrection. And uh, so it had to be dealt with because I'm very surprised at the state of Russia, actually. I think the big story is not how he was killed mm-hmm. uh, because he should have faced the full force of the law anyway. Right. Uh, but the fact that in Russia, which is a very modern, uh, powerful, and in fact nuclear state, which is the second most powerful military state in the world, you have mercenaries who are totally unregulated mm. and ungoverned by the state. Right. So this is the real state of Russia. So it means that the uh, Prigozhin started off as a, well, ended up as a very wealthy businessman before he went into militaristic uh, adventures. He was uh, so, in charge of security for Putin as well at one time. Yes, at one stage he mm. was. But mm. what we are talking about now is a band of mercenaries, mm. which he commanded of, uh, according to some reports, about 5,000 strong, of whom a 1,000 were in Africa, and uh, uh, quite a number were operating in Ukraine as well. Yeah. And uh, so how can a state like Russia, which is, as I say, is a modern, very powerful, uh, in fact, nuclear state, mm-hmm. have mercenaries? I mean, they are nothing more. The mm. Wagner Group is nothing more then mercenaries, I mean, they have, uh, they say, the best interests of Russia at heart, but that's not the point. I mean, you cannot have unelected um, mercenary forces. I mean, everything should be under the armed forces. As you know, in England, if you had this, people would be behind bars very soon. I mean, in any country. So Russia, this is the state of the world, and this perhaps is why the caliph of uh, Ahmadiyyat Islam Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad has said that the world is in a very uh, precarious situation. Mm. We have nuclear forces, nuclear bombs all over the place. People are paying, those nuclear uh, uh, countries are paying no attention to the pledges they made that they would, will try to reduce nuclear weapons and work towards a non-nuclear world. Uh, so, and they're just expanding their military uh, uh, budgets. And Russia, you know, I blame not only Russia, but America and Britain is also part of this uh, uh, increase in defense expenditure. And so uh, it is a very serious question. Why is a mercenary force oper- operating within Russia? And so this means that the w- warlords who came out after the uh, breakup of Russia in 1989. And as you know, as a Khalif at that time, the uh, Caliph of Ahmadiyyat Islam warned Russia of the dangers of the dismantling of the uh, Soviet, Soviet state, the mm. communist state, which mm. at least gave a uh, kind of uh, stability. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it, kept, it kept the Western or the United States in check as well at the same time. Absolutely. So mm. it was a very useful, not only internally, mm-hmm. because it gave stability to the whole of Russia, but also, uh, as you say, it uh, kept a uh, check on American military adventures abroad, which were horrendous. Particularly uh, after the, that. Particularly after the Soviet Union broke, the Americans well, went, had, ran rampant around the world. Well, you had Iraq, and uh, you had uh, Afghanistan, 
And so I'm afraid we're living in a very dangerous mm. world. And unfortunately, the uh, people of the world, including the politicians, mm. not only in Russia, but in the West, are paying no attention to the words yeah. uh, but, of the caliph of the time. Indeed. But the, the, the mercenary uh, system or, or mm. uh, the way mercenaries work, this is not something new. This is not something unique to Russia. We, we, we've had mercenaries throughout where uh, countries and nations will employ foreign aid or foreign help from armies in any other word uh, world that that name mostly would be used as terrorists because uh, that's what they would be wouldn't they They'd be classified as someone fighting for someone for paid money or for for a goal or something uh, it's what you would refer to as terrorists in in any other in any other term yes the western countries have used um uh, subversive forces to destabilize other governments, mm. for example, in Chile and uh, in other countries. In Syria but as well, they, where... Uh, but not... Uh, yeah, in Syria, and, yeah. uh, but not in... Uh, you see, I think if you recall the words, I remember very well, the words of the caliph of the time, um, I mean, our caliph, mm-hmm. which is that how come ISIS and uh, Daesh mm. have got very sophisticated weapons, Western yeah. weapons. Yeah. Where do they get them from? I mean, how come when you impose sanctions on Iran or uh, Afghanistan to a certain extent or any other country, you cannot even get small medicines through mm. because of the strictness of the, uh, the sanctions or, small, or of, the, of the sanctions mm. or small machinery. Mm. And yet these people... Uh, ISIS and Daesh seem to have, uh, you know, kind of endless uh, access mm. to weapons and uh, oil wealth and this and that. So it's amazing. Mm. You know, these are all workings of the deep state. Yeah. And uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, we have to be very careful. And these are the latter days sure. in which the jar is rampant. And, and the pointing of finger at Vladimir Putin and, and making out that you know he's a murderer, etc. So, is is it a bit a little bit hypo- hypocritical or pot calling the kettle black because uh, Western powers, in particular the CIA, the Mossad, and even the MI5, have done similar things? Uh, I mean, well, they very very openly hmm. asked for regime change. Yeah, very openly, and this is not in their own countries. Like I said, yeah. I think uh, uh, Putin or mm. the Russian government had every right to yeah. take action against Prigozhin and, and mm-hmm. uh, give him due, uh, uh, due process, whether it was uh, charging him or whatever it was. He yeah. should not be operating uh, unilaterally. But the thing is this, we've had regime change, as you point out, from uh, Western governments like Saddam Hussein, Libya, uh, Bashar al-Assad, uh, you know, they tried their best. And even Imran Khan, you know, I mean, the accusation is that they've uh, toppled the Imran Khan government mm. uh, by bribes and this and that. And this is, this is very much well, there was uh, a leaked well paper. There, there, there's been leaked papers from America that, that says that uh, uh, the, uh, Imran Khan was uh, taken out uh, at the behest of the American government. <laughs> so this is destabilizing other mm. outside mm external, uh, I mean, governments, which have been duly elected. I mean, nobody argues that Imran Khan, Hmm. you know, it was a coalition government after all. So, uh, you know, he didn't have the majority, but he did have the majority Hmm. with the coalition. So that was democratically elected. So how come his regime is being destabilized? And as far as Prigozhin is concerned, I'm not 
are concerned about how he was killed or who was killed, I mean, he should have been dealt with anyway, because you cannot have mercenary armies operating mm. in countries. Well, he's dying to get in here. <laughs> so what do, what do you think of the argument that the Americans would put that they want to preserve their own interests. That is the reason why they have or are obliged to interfere in other nations because their own interests are being threatened otherwise. Well, this is this is true. This is, I mean, this is what they do. They said because our interests are threatened, so we want to. But are they right uh, in saying that? That's the question. No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, this is the law of the jungle. Hmm. I mean, you cannot have this. I mean, you cannot have any military regime and mm. any military expeditions without the UN uh, backing. But America, uh, you know, I mean, the ones we've had in Iraq, in Libya, in Afghanistan, they've uh, not had um, UN backing. Mm. And unfortunately, when we use the word UN backing, even that is loaded, really, because uh, some countries give, bri- give bribes to others. Uh, to win, uh, to win votes. I mean, I don't mean uh, in in the Pakistan case. There have been cases. There have been documentation of footage of bribes being given. Yes, mm. but what I mean is uh, by bribes is by withholding aid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very clear that uh, America is giving a lot of aid, military and otherwise. In my view, giving military aid is, is not a good thing. But never mind. For the time being, for the purposes of my argument, what I'm trying to say is that America then withholds its aid, and so people have to vote. I mean, uh, according to the interests of America, otherwise there will be repercussions, financial repercussions. Mm. I mean, you're talking about instability, creating instability around the world. Uh, One of the uh, stories that uh, this was sort of highlighted was the attack on the stream pipe on the Nord Stream pipe, pipeline, which uh, in recent days German yeah. magazine Der Spiegel has uh, uh, reported that, according to Der Spiegel's sources, investigators are certain that the saboteurs were in Ukraine before and after the attack. Indeed, the overall picture confirmed by the puzzles pieces by the puzzles pieces of technical information has grown quite clear that it was uh, Ukraine or uh, Ukrainian forces behind it. And yet when it happened, uh, despite all the American presidents having said that they would like to blow up that pipeline, they were trying to blame Putin for it. But now it's very clear that he's not. So this all this false propaganda and destabilizing the situation when sometimes they themselves are behind all this. Uh, that's what causes instability in 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 our societies, and that's well, what the real threat is. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And the thing is this: that the Nord Stream pipeline was to become is the link between uh, the gas pipeline link between Russia and Germany. Yeah. And obviously, it was going to be very lucrative for Russia, so it had absolutely no uh, interest for Russia to uh, blow no it up. No advantage <laughs> in blowing it up itself. You can turn mm. off the pipes. Yeah no need to destroy the uh, infrastructure and the European government had the goal of blaming Russia for this yeah. uh, so Russia is the one who it suffered and uh, so I'm afraid uh, uh, I'm afraid the whole thing has is very sinister because mm. you are destroying infrastructure which is essential gas pipelines yeah you have you know you are destroying I mean, uh, Germany wanted it, wanted the gas badly, obviously. Mm. Now, 
everyone is paying for it. Everyone in the West. Yeah. All the fuel bills have gone up. They've rocketed, gone through the roof, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone is suffering. So, uh, yeah. you know, these powers, they have no interests of uh, the common people or the world. And as you were saying, uh, their own self-interest, you yeah. know. Yeah. America is attacking other countries because of... So I'm afraid this is all predicted um, in, uh, as far as I'm, you know. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Prophesized uh, yeah. by the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Those powers which uh, have all these uh, technological uh, means uh-huh. and uh, uh, they are doing things for their own self-interest, and they care nothing about the starving millions in Africa, in Sudan, in Turkmenistan, Mali. And and that is another side of the story, which we'll cover sometime in the future, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, let's move on to the next story. Uh, the BBC headlines that Spain had called Giorgio Vilda criticizes inappropriate Luis Rubiales, Rubiales kiss. Uh, Spain's Women World Cup head coach George Vilda has criticized suspended Football Federation President Luis Rubiales, calling the moment he kissed the squad member Jennifer Hermosa inappropriate and unacceptable. I mean, it's quite clear it is unacceptable, and uh, uh, the surprise is that he is refusing to resign. How do you look at this story uh, in terms of the inappropriate kissing allegations? Well, this is uh, part of the sexual harassment which uh, happens on an everyday basis Hmm. in uh, our culture, in our societies, you know, uh, whether they are Muslim societies or um, let's just concentrate on the, because we are familiar with England and UK. Hmm. So I'm afraid sexual harassment, this is sexual harassment and what really surprised me and shocked me and has shocked the um, Spanish nation to such an extent that the whole Spanish team the women's team have resigned. Mm. They have said, as long as Rubiales is in charge, we are not going to play. Because this is sexual harassment, mm. such as assault. And now, what really is shocking is that it was done uh, unashamedly in front of the TV cameras of the world. But in, um, in, I, I hear what you're saying, but in, in, in society, in Western societies particularly, uh, kissing and uh, hugging each other has become, I wouldn't say the norm, but certainly very common. And sometimes it is accepted, sometimes it's not accepted. There's mixed messages here. So, uh, well, uh, pecks on the cheek, you know, from handshake to pecks on the cheek, then kissing on the lips is a natural progression. But where does it stop? So, surely yeah, there so must be stop. some Even some sort of guidelines. I think you're right. Hmm. I think you're right. They sh- even the pecs on this, you know, we have to follow Islamic guidelines. Do not uh, pay. We are not uh, enamored. We are not in favor of Western customs. Mm. Uh, and and not everyone in the Western culture is happy with being kissed on the cheeks either. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, now, this is sexual harassment, you know, because this, uh, uh, this type of kiss. Now, this was... Uh, uh, what's the word for not followed by, by something which comes before, uh, by a very rude gesture which the same person made when the final whistle blew and uh, in front of young girls and everything, and this has been picked up as well. So now this is sexual harassment. Now, what I want to say is that sexual harassment is very common. 
Now, even in Parliament, you know, even in the police force, yeah. as you know, young interns, uh, late, uh, female interns, and in fact some male interns as well, have complained that MPs, you know, this is a power dynamic because you have a very powerful person yeah. who is the MP or the boss in the company, and then you have a young uh, lady who comes in and she wants... Easily influenced and, because she's trying to get on in, in, in a work and progress, yeah. And she has to uh, some favors, or mm. you know, or I'm not saying it's always uh, uh, physical, but it could be words which are said, which uh, uh, which are very provocative. Mm. And people and the girls, they feel threatened. They do not like it, but they cannot do anything about it because it, he's it, the boss. It used to be termed as banter, wasn't it? And now long yes. that is no yes. longer acceptable. Yes, and, it's and, no longer acceptable. Yeah, and, and kissing certainly is going to be questioned now. Because uh, mm-hmm. Islam is very clear. I remember right. uh, my wife telling me that uh, she they had a visit from Prince Charles at the time at, at their offices, and mm-hmm. uh, because she wasn't going to shake hands, uh, she was put on the second line. Uh, mm-hmm. And when he saw my wife in the in the hijab, so he came up to her mm-hmm. and sort of uh, spoke to her, put her hand forward, his hand forward, and my wife. Well, politely put her hands together on her, and refuse, and then he talked to her for several minutes as compared to the mm. others. Well, so it has a positive uh, impact on people as well. Well, I must uh, con- I must uh, con- uh, congratulate not only your wife <laughs> but also Prince Charles because <laughs> Prince Charles I think is a very understanding person. King Charles now, by the way. <laughs> King Charles, of course. So King Charles is a very understanding person. He knows about different cultures, he does. different religions, and he pays a lot of respect and he never tries to cross the line. So no. this is a, a very good example of what you've given mm. as to how not only the Muslim woman should uh, uh, behave yeah. uh, and conduct herself, but also how uh, so King Charles, for me, is, is an example yeah. of understanding and, and cultural... And, and what that action does, is, is you know, by Muslim women not shaking even hands, is that it, sends, it, it, it leaves no room for uh, sexual harassment of any kind. Absolutely correct. Yeah. The only thing it might yeah. open to is some racists might take it as an offence that they don't mm-hmm. shake hands and they become racist, but that's the fault of the person uh, attitude to the, mm-hmm. to, towards that rather than yes. the individuals. But certainly Islam certainly wants to prevent sexual harassment and this is one way of the way it does it. Uh, and the veil certainly is another one that, that helps promote that. Uh, talking of uh, respect, uh, how do you find Nadine Doris's resignation where she calls that the current government is a zombie government and Rishi Sunak will come to terms one day or something? Uh, she's complaining well, about the fact that he's not been elected. Yeah. Yes, he's not been elected by members, well, not been elected by anyone. Yeah. Uh, not, and, not, and he's ditched. Sorry? I beg your pardon, Solita. No, no, I'm just, I was just saying that she's objected to the fact in her resignation letter that he, Rishi Sunak, has not been elected by the members. Yeah. And he's ditched the uh, the mandate on which the government was elected in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, all. By the yes. way, by the way, right? Okay, it's it's what, what is she just upset that she wasn't given appearance? Yes, maybe. I think no, not very dignified the way she's resigned. Month. That is the point I'm making. Yeah, I mean, I think I think she made a comment. I think uh, two and a half months ago that uh, you know it was quite. Um, uh, 
quite normal for her to have received a period and she was very upset mm-hmm. and that she will resign and that she, now she has. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure what has she been doing for the last two and a half months or uh, or more since the government has been in place. Well, she's been absent from the Houses of Parliament. She's hardly ever spoken in uh, in, in the Houses of Parliament and she's not even been holding surges in her constituency. Yes. So, well, uh, what, you know, what I'm saying is what she should what she said today that uh, as we self-quoted is that Rishi Sunak has no has no mandate or whatever, and that he was not elected or whatever, mm. uh, she should have said two or three months ago and resigned then. Uh, so it's a very bizarre, and yeah. I don't think uh, it, it does British parliamentary system any justice yeah. uh, or any favours when you have such, uh, I would say, selfish or, in other word, perhaps... Uh, uh, well, you know, uh, parliamentarians who are uh, who have an axe to grind, a personal axe to grind. Yeah. I mean, surely public service should be at the fore. Uh, indeed, you know. indeed. <laughs> uh, not a, not a dignified way of going out. Um, certainly mm-hmm. seems like sour breaks. Right, Urza, thank you very much for discussing some of the stories with us, and uh, we'll hope to have you back on the show soon. Thank you very much. Right, Malid, uh, yeah. Faith in Focus, our next segment of the show. Um, uh, sorry, uh, we were discussing the life of the Promised Messiah, um, and uh, we'll continue to examine some of his personal qualities. Because, and this is one of the things these debates have highlighted that the people look at the people's personalities as well. And uh, when the Holy Prophet was made a prophet, the first thing he said to the people, you know, if I tell you something, will you believe me? And they said, of course we will, because you've always been truthful. So that shows you the character. And then he said, if I tell you I'm a prophet of God, will you believe me? Mm. Not so favorable <laughs> response by some mm. at the mm. time. And the same is happening with the Promised Messiah. Now, so we want to look at his early life and the way he carried himself mm-hmm. uh, and we know that uh, he was spoken very favorably before his claims uh, of his uh, character and of his abilities uh, and knowledge of Islam and, and, and the claims that he was making. Mm-hmm. So coming to that, it is interesting how false claimants, uh, and, I'm not, and, and it's not just false claimants, you look at, we're just talking about uh, King Charles when he had his coronation, you know, a big chair with gold and silver and diamonds all over it, elaborate grounds and all that. Important people want big shows. Mm. Is that the same with prophets of God? Was that the same mm. with the promised Messiah, the Mizaglam and Madalasalam? No, not, not at all. Um, I think that also this, what you're mentioning, it is certainly the case with um, rulers and kings uh, that they want to show uh, they are standing through opulence and mm. s- stuff like that. But it is also uh, a feature of false claimants to to anything, mm. especially in religion that you find they, they are, they feel almost uh, to uh, be forced to establish their greatness by these, uh, these gadgets and these um, thrones that they make up from themselves. But People who are from God and generally from God, 
are extremely humble, and this was the case with the promised Messiah. Uh, in his conduct, he was humble. He was uh, devoid of any pre- uh, pretensions. When he came to clothing, for example, he did not um, uh, care much for expensive cloths like pashmina uh, for his clothing. For him, it had no greater value than ordinary cloths, which mm. he tended to prefer. Um, spending inordinate time on clothing was a waste of time for him, so he would not indulge in getting uh, fashionable uh, attire. Uh, he was uh, almost only fully and wholly immersed uh, in what we thought, what he believed was important, and that was in the service of Islam. And he said, and this is a quote from him, my state is that I even f- feel regret when answering the call of nature for all the time that is wasted. This time, too, could be better spent in religious work. And then he also said on another occasion, and any occupation or engagement which prevents me from religious work and takes up my time is completely unacceptable to me. Mm. <coughs> and he said that when an important task of uh, religious nature arises, I deem food and drink and sleep to be forbidden to me until I have completed the task at hand. So he was very much immersed in, in work and serving Islam. And then there was a, another quote, he says that I'm devoted to the cause of religion. In fact, I live for the sake of religion. Therefore, all I desire is that nothing obstructs my way in this path. And when we look at his general demeanor, again, simplicity was so clearly evident and so clearly um, prominent to observe. No airs or graces about him. Uh, and no airs and graces as to how he conducted himself. He could have been found on many an occasion uh, uh, sitting on the ground while others sat on a rug or above him. In the Mubarak Mosque, which he frequented, there was no formal seat reserved for him. A stranger, it is said, would be unable to recognize the promised Messiah by any physical means of distinction. In the mosque, he would sit in the right-hand corner of the mosque, sometimes all by himself, deep in contemplation and remembrance. And strangers who would come in looking for this holy man would go straight to their marab, only realizing that the subject of uh, their uh, desire was, in fact, sitting in the in the corner mm. in, in humility. So no throne, no special place. No, no, no special place, just a... Yeah. Yeah. Place in the corner of a mosque, yeah. you know, not even yeah. in the Mirab. Uh, Promised Messiah Lassan preferred uh, this humility. Uh, he could easily be approachable by others. Uh, is that a, a trait of that, uh, of his, uh, no. that uh, he was approachable? Absolutely, yes. And this is a continuation of this uh, aspect of his uh, desire to be humble. Uh, it is said that, you know, on one occasion an individual came into the mosque mm. and he happened to be very influenced with the aesthetics and custodians of shrines that existed in those days. In fact, those kinds of uh, aesthetics and custodians also exist nowadays as well. And um, he was astonished to see a man of the stature of the promised Messiah being so accessible to others. And in fact, he was moved to protest. He said that there is a lack of respect in your mosque. People speak to you without fear. And to this the promised Messiah explained, he said, It is not my practice to sit in a fierce and frightful manner so that people should fear me as they are terrified of a, as if they are terrified of a carnivorous beast. I, ex- I extremely detest the idea of sitting like an idol. I have come to abolish idol worship, not so that I should become an idol myself and people worship me. Allah the Exalted knows well 
that I give not, I do not give pre- myself preference over others, even in the slightest. In my opinion, there is no worse an idol worshipper and no one more wicked than an arrogant person. An arrogant person does not worship any god at all. In fact, he only worships himself. So this is how he believed um, um, such people were. So mm. we can see how those who are appointed by God hate being surrounded by A's and graces to establish their standing. Their standing. Mm. They find the confirmation of any status they have been given by Allah alone. They have no need to strut around and show others their status. Also, while he did not have any airs and graces of his own, it is also true that he was very respectful to others. For mm. instance, when addressing another, he used the uh, he did not use the term "tu." You know, we yes, have in Punjabi, tu. there's yeah. the "aap" and "tu." Yeah. "Aap" is more respectful. Uh, "Tu" is uh, as if absolutely. you are being a bit arrogant about yes. it. Yes. Yeah. So he would adopt the uh, the more respectful term "aap," and when it, and it was his custom in referring to his companions either through writing or verbally, that he would refer to them as my honorable brother, uh, Malwi Sahib, or Malwi Sahib, my brother, whom I love for the sake of Allah. As such, in ordinary sleep also, he would say, my honorable Malwi Sahib was saying. So, um, humility, not desiring any respect himself, yes, but as far as others were concerned, giving them due, the, the, the respect they deserved, Indeed. and nothing less. And many people used to come to visit, as you said, you mm. mentioned people used to come looking for him in the mosque. So many visitors used to come just to see him. How was his attitude towards them? Well, uh, very similar. If someone came to uh, meet him, he was known to be extremely courteous mm-hmm. uh, to any inquirer. He would patiently listen, try and understand the point of view of the inquirer. Uh, he would always respond in a gentle manner and remain composed, even if the inquirer was rude or impertinent. Uh, one of his companions, uh, Abdul Karim Sialkoti, uh, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, relates that once uh, an Indian who took great pride in his own scholarship and portrayed himself as having seen the world and being very well informed and experienced, flung open the door of discussion in a very disrespectful manner. After a brief discussion, he repeated numerous times the comment that you are, in, you are a liar. Uh, in your claim, and I have seen many charlatans like you. I have experienced with many others like you. In short, this was the insulting manner in which he spoke. Mm. He was insulting mm. him. However, the promised Messiah was very composed. He did not so much as show even the slightest facial expression indicating displeasure, and listened to the man's comments very calmly, and then spoke and uh, responded in a very tender manner. So no matter how foolish or inappropriate someone's words may have been, no matter how disjointed and measured someone's work in verse or prose uh, was while listening or afterwards in private, the promised Messiah never expressed contempt or reproach. And on many occasions, certain listeners in the audience became irritated. So if he was having a gathering where people are speaking or exchanging views, some among them would become irritated by the horrible work that was being uh, that may have been presented in a horrible uh, way that uh, he was being addressed and leave. And then they would whisper comments of disapproval to one another afterwards. After the ga- gathering, they would come um, to the Holy uh, to the Promised Messiah himself and uh, give vent to their um, uh, opinions uh, as to why they felt uh, distressed at the way that he was being addressed. And the, the Promised Messiah was very unmoved mm. by this and very patient uh, in, in this. And in this respect, there is um, an anecdote he used to relate. 
and uh, he's and I quote from what he said. He says that uh, I am reminded of an anecdote written by Saadi in his book uh, Bostan, in which he states that once a nobleman was bitten by a dog. When he returned home, his home folk noticed the dog bite. A simple and innocent child who was present said, "Why did you not bite the dog in revenge?" The man responded, "Humans cannot behave like dogs." So similarly, when a person is abused and cursed by a wretch, it is incumbent upon a believer to abstain from responding in kind. Otherwise, this example of dog-like behavior shall be applicable to such people. The beloved of God have been abused with the worst of invectives, and are grieved in the worst possible manner. However, they are always addressed in the following term, words, as far as the Quran is concerned, which says that turn away from the ignorant. Mm. Thus, in this respect, I mean, this is the uh, guide, guidance that the promised Messiah was uh, following when he was provoked. And in this respect, his behavior, as in all matters, was in accordance with the Holy Quran and the teaching of Islam. So we can observe from the life of the promised Messiah how his entire conduct exuded humility, uh, both uh, for himself and for, and for others. Indeed, you you talk uh, you mentioned uh, about the promised Messiah saying that humans do not act like dogs or animals. Mm. There was an incident, if I'm not mistaken, and it could have been. In Jalem, the Promised Messiah visited there, but the, the town could be a mistake on my part. Mm-hmm. But uh, a large crowd was waiting for him as he came out, and they wanted to carry him, uh, like in a sedan, you know, where they oh, carry yes. on shoulders. Yeah. And and he refused. He said, I've come to make people humans, uh, not animals. Mm, you know, it's yes. animals that are carried, who carry people on their backs yes, and, and yes. therefore he walked mm-hmm. uh, so that's a reflection of, oh, of his humility yeah, no, no, as well no, yes interesting yeah. yes very really relevant thank yeah. you yes. uh, uh, if I'm mistaken on the town please someone yeah. if, could be, yeah. if I could yeah. be corrected that would be most helpful um, what about uh, he claimed to be a Baruzi Nabi of the Holy Prophet a, a reflection or a subservient to the Holy Prophet uh, if that is the case then this humility that you are showing was that shown by the Holy Prophet as well? Is there any, any examples you can quote? Well, this uh, kind of humility that uh, we are talking about and the consequences where people don't recognize him because of any uh, elaborate paraphernalia that surrounds him was also the case with the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And we, we can find, uh, you're quite right, uh, the act and the behavior and the conduct and the demeanor of the promised Messiah being very much a reflection of his master, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And we know that uh, on occasions when uh, Hazrat Abu Bakr and the Holy Prophet were together, some people, uh, not knowing who uh, to go to, would approach Hazrat Abu Bakr first by mistake. So, and this humility was also shown by Hazrat Umar uh, on the fall of Jerusalem. And this is a very famous account. That, um, on the fall of Jerusalem, for example, its inhabitants said the city would only surrender to the best among the Muslims and ask for the caliph, who was Hazrat Umar at the time, to come. He did, but traveled without any elaborate retinue. Mm. Uh, only a servant and one camel is what they took, and they took turns to ride it. And when they neared Jerusalem at a place called Jabiyah, the slave was riding or the servant was riding uh, and Hazrat Umar was on foot. 
So such was the simplicity of the man, and he was following the example of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, of course. And it is said that when he entered Jerusalem itself, uh, he did so as an ordinary traveler, uh, traveler riding on a poor horse. And he was greeted by the patriarch of Jerusalem, the elite of the city, and Muslim commanders would come to receive him wearing costly dress, while Hazrat Umar was dressed in a garment of coarse cloth ordinarily worn by an average Arab. And when someone advised him to wear a better dress befitting the state occasions, uh, Hazrat Umar turned down the suggestion, saying that he derived his strength and status from his faith in Islam, and not from any dress. And the veteran, when the patriarch of uh, Jerusalem saw the ascetic simplicity of the Caliph of Islam and then looked at his own costly dress, he said, Verily, Islam has excelled all other religions. So this goes to show that greatness is not given by fancy clothes mm. uh, you may wear or the plush surroundings you may create for yourself, but by the sincerity of your heart and the strength of your faith. False claimants need to rely on such pretensions. Real claimants don't. Mm, very profound. <laughs> very profound. Well, we are profound on the show. We are, we are. Uh, and uh, the Holy Prophet is always uh, uh, a, a spiritual guide. Yes. He? And, and he certainly motivates our hearts uh, mm. with some of the stories we hear about him. Mm. What about uh, clothing is one thing. What about palatial palaces? Did, mm. uh, did uh, going back to the promised Messiah, did he build, I mean, we know about the Holy Prophet, he mm. had very simple abodes. Yes. I know when he met guests, he couldn't meet them in his home because it was such a small, humble place. They used to meet him in the mosque. Yes. And that, the mosque itself was very humble and simple. Yes. What yeah. about the Holy promised Messiah? Did he build himself a palatial palace like King Charles has one? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Um, uh, again, one of his companions, uh, Mori Abdul Karim, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, writes that, that uh, and I quote, By the grace and mercy of God, the promised Messiah is of such rank and stature that if he so desired the bricks in his home uh, could be made of marble and his uh, door rugs could be of silk and satin, that could have uh, been realized. Right. So you're talking about palaces. Mm, mm. So he could have had a palace. However, the house in which he resides is so simple that no one who is predisposed to worldly definitions of elegance and refinement uh, would uh, not be uh, no, not be happy to stay there for even a moment. And then he goes on to recite, I've seen countless times the wooden seat on which uh, His Holiness is referring to the promised Messiah sits outside during the summertime. Even if it is covered with a little dust, uh, he will never object. And if someone does finally clean off the dust, he will not notice that either and uh, take interest in the fact that today his seat is freshly clean and shining. In short, he remains so fully absorbed in his work that he does not care at all about these materialistic things. And the promised Messiah himself has said, Allah the Exalted knows that I have no love for any property. I consider my properties to be the shared possession of my friends and I desire greatly that we all come together and spend some time with one another. It would please me if there were a place where my friends occupied houses on all four sides and my house was situated in the middle with an entrance leading to every home that surrounded my own so that I could remain in constant contact and interaction with each other and every one of them. So his house, both inside and out, downstairs and on the upper level, used to be full of guests, like a ship. And the promised Messiah reserved only a small portion, a small area for himself, after vision, after division of other areas. And he lived, it is said, as one who stays in a temporary home, 
Put travellers never considering the thought that this was in reality his 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 own home. Mm. Isn't there a narration uh, that uh, I, I believe it was for the Jalsa, where a guest arrived very late, and the only light on was the Promised Messiah's house. So he knocked on the door, and the Promised Messiah brought him in, put him in the bed, put a blanket on him, uh, and then half through the night, the guest needed to go to the bathroom or to get a water drink and he walked through a room and the promised Messiah was sleeping on the floor with just a thin jadar curled up mm-hmm. because of the bitter coldness. Mm-hmm. So he had given up his bed and didn't even tell the guest that, which reflects that he he was there wasn't another bed in his house for him to go into. Yes, yes. So that was the simplicity of the life he lived. No, no, very true. His simplicity and his, his concern... And the way he treated his guests, mm. yeah, gave him, gave him his own, gave them his own, own bed. bed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the likes of you and me to be doing that. Huh? No, I mean, I mean, I, and I, I suppose, I mean, this also demonstrates. I mean, it's good that you related that story. It demonstrates mm. um, their love for for humanity. You know, for, yes. for for everyone. So this is a feature of the prophets of God mm. that they are, they certainly love God but love his creation as well. Yeah, and this is how yeah, it's demonstrated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just so surprised that when you read this story, the, the opponents of Ahmadiyyat don't look at this aspect of his yeah. life to understand the other thing. Because if they, they, they understood this mm. and got to know this of the Promised Messiah, they, they would start to understand the things that the Promised Messiah had written of yes. which they tried yes. to criticize him yes. of. Because it's mm. a, the two have to be reflected upon. Absolutely, it gives better context. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about uh, publicity and fame? This is you know everyone does things for publicity, fame, and and probably wealth. Yeah. Uh, was this evident in the in, in the stu- if you, when we study the life of the Holy of the Promised Messiah, Um Did he sought publicity and fame? But he, he wanted to be popular, didn't he? Well, uh, in when we look at his life and uh, we survey what he was about and how he conducted himself, mm-hmm. we find that he had no love for rank composition. If he sat in public or made addresses, it was only to fulfill the command of God. Mm. And on one occasion he said, if God Almighty gave me a choice and asked whether I prefer seclusion or publicity, I would swear by, by the holy being of God that I would choose seclusion. Mm. It was God himself who pulled me out into the public sphere. Who can know more than God the pleasure that I attain in seclusion? I remained in solitude for almost 25 years, and never once, even for a moment, did I desire to be placed on a seat in the court of fame. I am naturally averse to sitting amongst a group of people, but I am bound by my master's command. And he further said, when I sit in public or go for a walk and engage in discussion with others, I do all of this out of obedience to the command of Allah Almighty. So it is quite clear he did not um, uh, want uh, publicity. He didn't want fame. Uh, This is something that was imposed upon him because of the status that God had accorded to him. So the only thing he wanted to popularize was the the message, the the guidance Mm. for for the rest through Mm. him Mm. uh, and and not his personal wealth or Mm. gain or uh, popularity. Mm. Guidance that he wanted to convey to humanity for their benefit. For their benefit. Yes, it was love for humanity. Nothing for his own benefit. 
So this is it's very true. If you, I mean, the example you gave about giving up his bed and mm. all that shows demonstrates very, very clearly, explicitly, the uh, the desire to serve humanity. You know, the love that he had for humanity, mm. and this is something that is a is a feature and has to be a feature uh, that is inherent in the character of prophets, and it was certainly the case in his in his instance. Mm. So our advice would be to those who want to find faults with the promised Messiah mm. to look at the other aspects of his life mm. and then to make a judgment mm. rather than to cherry pick little lines here or there, yeah. which even the opponents of Islam do about the Holy Prophet. The yeah. Holy Prophet himself was ridiculed yes. uh, and called a magician and a sorcerer. Yes. There's this great story of an old lady who was leaving Medina uh, and uh, she mm. wanted, uh, uh, and the Holy Prophet saw her and ca- carried her luggage. She for was her. coming to Makkah. Oh, she was coming to Makkah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And uh, she was uh, saying, I've heard the stories about uh, this magician, yeah. this sorcerer, and I'm trying to get away from him, mm. not realizing it was the Holy Prophet. Mm. And then she found out it was the Holy mm. Prophet, who had even told her who he was, mm. uh, accepted Islam as a result of his uh, mm. attitude towards him. Mm. So it was nothing new for prophets no. to be ridiculed no. and accused. No, very, very true, very yeah. true. Right. Uh, we'll continue this series uh, in our next show, Willie. Uh, yeah. Very fascinating. Mm. Uh, and I think it's important to show the true character yes. of the promised Messiah. Uh, because all these accusations that he uses harsh language, etc. We mm. see harsh language in the Quran. We see harsh language used by the Holy Prophet as well. So why not the same accusations mm-hmm. uh, go that way? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you can't be selective, etc. But we'll be coming and we'll be discussing uh, the debates that the, our Ahmadis have been having with some anti ahmadi preachers. And inshallah, uh, we shall join them uh, after the news, uh, which is the 11 o'clock news. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuhu. Welcome back to the Weekend World Show with Asan Ahmadi. Uh, we are joined now with Daniel Kalun Sahib, our young missionary on the Ask the Imam segment of the show. Uh, Daniel, assalamu alaikum. Uh, Daniel, uh, last week we were dis- uh, last show we were discussing about uh, predestination, the f- sixth article of faith, yes. which is uh, that everything has been predetermined, mm. and we were discussing that yet man has been given the free will, right? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the examples we sort of sort of discussed to to help understand that was that man is given a choice between mm. doing something. Mm. And I think uh, uh, Waleed mentioned that it was Hazrat Ali's example about his saddle, where uh, he would have earned the same amount mm. of money, the mm. person who stole it, but it's how he earned it. Yeah. Right? And uh, so, we, we, so we got this idea of predestination where Allah has already willed something, mm. and man is given the choice. So how does that choice uh, differ to the animal world, for example? Do they have that choice as well? Or is it just human beings that are given that choice? Right. So it's good that you brought in animals in this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had animals on our other parts of the discussion as well. Yes, thank you. Well, it's because I was on the way 
here, I was actually thinking about this comparison, right? Right. Oh, that's uh, ironic. It, yeah, it's convenient, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> um, so the free will that we humans enjoy is clearly not available in animals, isn't it? Okay. Animals follow a certain instinct, mm. right? Um, and that actually proves uh, a lot more that we as humans have free will, not uh, in accordance with the understanding of the general populace, which thinks that the religious populace, which might think that um, God has predestined everything for us already and we will only do whatever he has written down, mm. right? Um, but in the sense that we have free will to choose what we what we do and God has the knowledge of what we're going to do. Right. The reason being that animals, um, they have an instinct, they have, they have a law which God has put inside them, essentially, and they have no choice but to follow that law exactly as it is, mm. right? Um, when they're hungry, they will feed. I just watched a video on Twitter actually a couple of days ago, or X, as I should call it, not Twitter. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get sued <laughs> yeah, for that's right. yeah. <laughs> anything. Uh, so I, I watched this video on X where uh, there was this Komodo dragon. You know those yes, um, dragons yes, yeah, in Indonesia. Right. Yeah, um, we, we see them in James Bond films sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not actually dragons. <laughs> no, disclaimer. Right. <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> they're huge lizards. <laughs> Um, if we get people complaining about that, yeah, exactly yeah. that we believe in dragons. <laughs> <laughs> so this Komodo dragon had um, hunted this uh, baby gazelle, mm-hmm. right? And you could hear it. It is quite heart wrenching. You could hear it yeah. um, crying, you know. And it, especially, um, I'm, I'm guessing for parents. I'm a parent myself. So for parents, you know, when you have a young child, and uh, you see that in the animal world, young, um, young uh, offspring of animals are being eaten that eaten, way, yeah. and it seemed a bit cruel. But then, you know, someone commented and, and it made sense as well that the the Komodo dragon literally um, isn't doing it out of spite or anything. It just sees food. It sees food, right? It's hungry and yeah. it needs to hunt. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter how old its prey is or how young it is mm. or um, whether it's male or female, it yeah. doesn't differentiate, right? Mm. It just eats, right? Because it doesn't have that free free will free to will. choose. And, and an animal, when it attacks a cub or a gazelle or, or whatever... It won't think of the repercussions yeah. of the mother. Oh, it's going to miss his child. Whereas we would do that. We, you know, when something goes wrong, our first thoughts go one to the child, exactly, and two to, to the parents, to and three to humanity. You know how, how we feel. But in animal animal kingdom, they do things out of instinct. They need food, they'll attack it. They'll, they'll see food, and that's what they do. They don't make a choice. They no. don't make a rational choice. It's food, and it's food, and it's going to be attacked. Exactly. So is that how you see predestination in terms of human being? So does that make humans different to, to the animals? It does. And absolutely. is there any mention in the Quran about this? Of course, because the thing is with humans, um, we, as, as I think it was mentioned in the previous program as well, that um, as humans, we receive a reward or punishment for our actions, right? If we were to go and do that, right, God forbid, go out and kill the offspring of, of a human, right? God forbid that's murder, right? Um, but if we were to do that, we would be punished if we were caught in this world. But even if we got away with it, mm. in the in the afterlife, we would definitely be punished, right? Unless, right. you know, God forgives us, whatever, right? But it's it's a wrong act. So that just proves that if we had done exactly what an animal had done, mm. right, we can't just blame it on our in- instinct and say mm. that, oh God, you put this law of nature inside of me and I, I, did it. I did it. Because God would turn around and say the Quran is abundant with evidence where it says that, you know, humans are free to do what they want. For example, there's a verse in the Holy Quran which says, that there is nothing for humans except what they strive for. Right? That can go um, as far as positive outcomes are concerned as well as negative mm. outcomes. Right? If you strive to be a murderer, you will 
most likely be a, a murderer, right? If you st- strive to be a successful entrepreneur or a successful radio um, talk show host, right? Well, it's you, my dream. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere near it. <laughs> <laughs> you might reach that goal, right? Because uh, God Almighty has laid that mm. law down, right? Mm. So it's about the laws that God Almighty has laid down. This, this is where we really need to make that distinction, right? Um, just because God Almighty has a knowledge of something, and again, this was discussed last time as well, it's just worth mm. hammering in because this is this is a clearly misunderstood and very difficult concept to grasp, right? Mm. Predestination, decree mm. of God Almighty. That having the knowledge of something yeah. um, is not the same as coercing some, someone to do right. something, right. right? Just because God has the knowledge that um, you, a human will do or, or commit a certain act doesn't mean that he coerced that person. He just no. gave that person options and he knew which option that person would choose. Okay, all right. Anything no, I'm, I'm not too convinced about this uh, concept about animals not having a choice. Of course they have a choice. You can put two different kinds of food in front of a cat. It'll make a choice. And eight out of ten cats would prefer it. You'd be watching too many adverts. <laughs> so, you know, we, of course they made a choice. How can you say they don't make a choice? It's that eight out of ten <laughs> is a human theory, not an animal theory. <laughs> <laughs> but there are, are choices made by, by cats. So you can't say that they are ma- machines that will only operate in a certain manner and not in a different manner. They are no, depending. They, they will have. They will exercise a choice. No, but will they have a choice uh, on a right or wrong basis? No, that's morality. Right. Maybe that is what we are trying to get yeah, to. Yeah. That mm. uh, humans are given a choice of morality. Mm. Right? This is what predestination is about. Mm. That you make those choices about morality, mm-hmm. but the choice has been predetermined in the sense that we will, you know, we will do something, mm. okay? It's, it's whether it's morally right or morally wrong. Mm-hmm. So you may be in, you may be uh, dying of thirst, but the moral choice for you as was made in one of the battles mm-hmm. is to prefer that that water that is being given to you to be given to your, uh, to, to another soldier mm-hmm. who is also dying of thirst mm, and exactly. it would be better that's a moral choice that's yeah. A moral, yeah. Yeah. and a cat would not do that yeah. no. <laughs> no. Uh, and the greatest example of that was at the battle of Badr when the holy prophet allowed the Quraysh access to the water wells during the night or during one of the nights when ideally they could have maintained that and put them in a worse situation Okay. Which is another example of humanity of the Holy Prophet and Islam. Oh, and yeah. yeah, that's another topic, <laughs> yeah, that's isn't another it? Topic. <laughs> what about, does that make us as a higher being of God uh, to the animal kingdom, to the rest of the uh, kingdom that God has created? It, it does make us a higher form of creation, as mentioned in the Holy Quran, that we are Ashraf al-Makhluqat, that we are the greatest or the noblest of creation. Okay. Um, in a way, even the angels... Um, don't attain that status because the angels can only do right. They yeah, can they, only. They don't, they don't have a choice. They, don't they only choice, do what yeah. is instructed of them. Exactly. So mm. with the angels, it's not even like Valitza made a very good point that animals can have a, a choice, but it's about morality, right? Mm. The choice of morality they they don't have, right? Unless obviously uh, we're excluding um, uh, animals who feed their offspring, um, and even if they need to starve themselves in order to do that, they will do that. But that's not morality. That's their maternal instinct or paternal instinct which is causing them to do it. Again, a, a law of God, which God has placed mm. inside them, right? But the angels, they don't even have that choice of morality because mm. they only do good, right? And they only do whatever God has instructed them to Just do. Just as a side uh, to, to, to that uh, discussion, therefore, 
we can do uh, delude that uh, Iblis was not an angel exactly. because yeah. if angels were destined to do what were instructed of them Iblis could not have rebelled yeah he wouldn't right? have that free so will that's a separate creation to angels yeah absolutely yeah because he chose uh, not to uh, you know obey. prostrate to Adam or yeah. obey God Almighty and that choice itself right just proves that he wasn't an angel yeah. And that's the human quality, the Satan mm-hmm. within us, mm. uh, the within the rule that is what is understood from that. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Good. What about uh, when God says that, uh, for example, in uh, Surah Baqarah chapter two, was said, Allah has set a seal on their hearts. Mm. Okay. This word seal is very contentious, <laughs> <laughs> especially in these recent debates we've been having. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all that. The seal. Yeah. If the, if something is sealed, you can't change it. This is what the argument of the non-Ahmadis are against uh, Fatima Nabi. Yeah. So, what does this seal of the hearts mean? If if that if that is sealed into our hearts, mm. then how can we have a choice? How can we have make that moral choice? Well, again, um, it was discussed in the last program, but again, it's this is such an important point because on the face of it, it does seem like. Yeah, the Quran just clearly says that God has put a seal on the hearts and that's it, right? That it was God who did it and the humans had no choice in it and that's it. Once the hearts are sealed, they are sealed, right? But the fact is that obviously everything needs to be taken into context, the verses before and ah. the verses succeeding it need to be looked okay. at as well. Right. Um, and Please enlighten. <laughs> <laughs> and with, this, with regards to this specific verse about seals being put on their hearts, um, the verse literally before that, literally it's explaining that those people in the Ladina Kafaru Right, those people who mm. disbelieve, or it, it's it's you know it doesn't matter if you guide them or not. Right, they're just stuck in their in their ways. So it's the choice that those disbelievers made mm. to be ignorant of the truth, which has put a seal on it, right, uh, on on their hearts. But then again, as the Quran, uh, uh, it, the Quran does mention in other verses as well, falama zaru azarullah qulubahum that when um, you know when they became corrupted. When the hum- who have, through their actions became corrupted, then uh, God Almighty corrupted their hearts, right? Mm-hmm. And He only corrupted their hearts after the humans became cor- corrupted themselves. Yeah, essentially, this explains the whole. This short verse mm-hmm. actually explains the whole concept of predestination and d- divine decree. It's only what God has set a law of nature, or laws of physics, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, which we, uh, w- which we are bound within, right? But within those laws. Um, it is our choice to choose to do something, right? Once we've chosen to do something, in reaction to that, God manifests um, a, a result, right? So the divine reaction to our choice is God manifesting a result mm-hmm. um, to it. So, for example, uh, this analogy was given last time as well, where if you choose to close the door to your room, right, um, and without switching the lights on, you close the door to your room, uh, ab- there's no doubt that um, the amount of light that come that was in the room before closing the door is not the same, right? It's become a bit darker, right? And it's God, God Almighty, um, reacting to your choice, right, by making that room darker. Not physically; He doesn't come down no, and no. you know make your room we darker. That, yeah. 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 Um. So it's it's, it's not, your choice because we don't take God as literal, right? As as, as a literal body. Exactly. It, it's a spiritual being which we can't understand. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, with regards to this silver verse. If just like if we close the door and darkness prevails, if we close the the spiritual door of our heart, then darkness will prevail. Mm-hmm. But then um, countless times in the whole, Holy Quran, 
it's mentioned that God Almighty loves to forgive. God Almighty, God Almighty loves those who repent, right? And obviously you need to do that with the right intentions. But if you've done that, if you've repented and um, you've asked for God's forgiveness and you've tried to tread the path of light, then uh, more likely than not, you will mm. find God. Um, there's a quote actually I read recently, which which is quite um, uh, it, suitable for this discussion as well, where um, someone said that if, and I'm sure that someone was quoting someone very wise and famous, that if you look for darkness, you will, um, if you, sorry, if you look for light, you will often find light. But if you look for darkness, um, you will only see darkness, right? It's one of those things. Uh, if you only see darkness or if you only want to see uh, what's wrong mm. in the Quran or in Islam, you might see things which you consider to be wrong, right? But if you look at the light, then even those things which are wrong, they're not wrong for you anymore because you understand them in a whole different manner mm. with um, with with more light in, in a way. When people saw the Holy Prophet, they saw mm. a, a yeah. bright vision in front yes. of them, but mm. people like Abu Jahl never saw that bright vision. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And Allah said that he would never accept him. Exactly. The, the heart was sealed already for him. Yeah. But God is Rahim. He is merciful. Yeah. And uh, so even those whose hearts are sealed, will they be forgiven? Well, they God. The only sin that God does not forgive is shirk, as mentioned in the Holy Quran. It's associating partners with God, right? That's the only sin which God does not forgive. Every mm-hmm. other sin is forgivable. Um, first of all, it dep- God's mercy is is vastly, um, vastly more. Uh, how should I say? More weight weighted on the scales than His wrath, right? Than His punishment, right? His mercy just mercy encompasses everything, right? Um, and the Quran mentions that as well, that his mercy encompasses everything. So the duty of any human is to not, um, do not uh, become uh, my use, what's the English word for my use? I am, I'm drawing a blank. Disheartened. Disheartened, exactly, mm-hmm. um, of the mercy of God, right? It doesn't matter how much you've sinned. It comes back to that example of that assassin who assassinated 99 people and he went to a sage and asked him, will God forgive me? I've, I've committed so many crimes. And the sage said, no, no way, you, you know, you're hellbound. And that's when the assassin hit his century, right? He killed his mm-hmm. 100th person. Uh, and the lesson in that was that no one has a decision to decide. Um, it, that's just a, it's just a story. It's just a story. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no one has a decision to decide where someone will end up in heaven or hell. God has that decision alone. Yes, uh, your actions, you have been told that if you follow certain actions, you will be hellbound, right? You will be hellbound. But God's mercy can... Um, you know, cl- clean that. But there are so many conditions for that. You have to have a pure heart. You have to sincerely repent, right? Um, there, there's and so that many is an ability that is given to us yeah. to change and to develop and to to bring about a change in our thinking, in our actions, yes. etc. Which animals would not have with it, because <laughs> you want mm-hmm. to defend the animals. <laughs> As you mentioned, eight out of ten cats prefer no, certain no, food. No, just con- uh, 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 addressing the issue that uh, they don't have a choice. I think they do have a choice. No, the point is valid. They do exercise the choice. The point is valid. I think yes. the wording... But not a moral choice. Yes, not yeah. a moral choice. I yeah. think that's the important bit. I yeah. think that, and that's what we're talking about, yeah. is those choices. Uh, and, and, and humans have the ability to maneuver their thinking and their thoughts and their morals towards a better way 
and that's what prophets come to do. They come to bring you to, transi- to, to make a transition from one state of life to another. And this is what Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad's book, The Philosophy of Teaching of Islam, is talking about, about your journey from the animal state towards the highest being state. Uh, would you say loyalty is, is, is a moral uh, feature or uh, an instinct, instinctive feature? Because dogs uh, are known for their loyalty yeah. to their masters. Yeah. And they would even put themselves in danger in defending. That's a moral, uh, that's not uh, animal instinct. Mm-hmm. That uh, There's no benefit that they drive from that. They but that's their nature, to defend. No, but uh, are they? Uh, but they're making a choice. They can run away. No, but, but they put themselves in danger to protect their master. But that's their instinct, isn't it? Yeah. Just because, just because that, just because the act <coughs> that they're committing is a good act, doesn't mean it's a moral act, right? It doesn't mean it's a moral choice that they chose to do. Animals can do acts which we might consider to be good, right? Uh, which might benefit other creatures as well. But it's not necessarily a moral choice that they made. It, it might have just been their instinct that they made. For right. example. Um, there's this uh, documentary about chimpanzees on Netflix. It's a really well-made documentary mm-hmm. um, about the chimpanzees in Uganda. Um, and these chimpanzees, when you watch it, you see a lot of similarities to, um, you know, human societies in, 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 in the sense that this example that you just gave, loyalty, they create factions and then they're loyal to their leader in that faction, right? And they're extremely loyal to the extent that they will... Uh, violently defend their leader as well, right? Even if the leader is not the strongest one out of them, they will um, go to violent means in order to defend that leader. Now, does that mean that they made a moral choice or was that just part of their instinct, right? More more likely than not, if they're being violent and they're clubbing other uh, chimpanzees to death or other animals to death uh, for their leader, it might not be the moral choice to to make, but it might just be the um, animal instinct to follow that choice, to be loyal to some uh, other... Um, animal mm. for their benefit. It might be for their benefit. Yeah, I think it's questionable to say that that would be a moral choice. It's more of an instinct choice uh, and not a moral one uh, on behalf of an animal. But, but we may we make uh, we, we train animals on the basis that they can, they make a choice, and uh, we incentivize uh, animals to follow a certain behavior. Mm. So that surely is predicated on them having a choice, not being. You know, doing things simply by instinct. Absolutely, but that choice is is instilled in their set of laws within that specific um, species of animal. For example, would you be able to teach a fish how to catch a ball? You can't, right? But you can teach a dog, right? Why? Because God Almighty has put that... um, that code, let's call it code, inside the dog. So there is code which we can... Uh, understand about uh, an animal we can understand the code of a horse right horses um, thousands of years ago they weren't used for riding but slowly and steadily humans taught mm-hmm. themselves and the horses how to um, ride right uh, in the same way dogs have been taught they evolved as wolves and at first they might not have been as loyal to humans they might have eaten humans right which was the case but slowly and steadily they did learn it but that's the only reason that they were able to do that was because god almighty had instilled that ability within them right doesn't mean that they have a moral choice yes uh, you're right they did have that option and that choice to to improve right um to learn how to be more loyal or to learn how to catch that ball but it doesn't mean that all animals have the level of freedom of choice as humans do because again we can't teach a fish how to catch a ball 
or you know a bird how to um, do pony tricks or, or, or whatever so I think there is a distinction there there is a difference mm-hmm. well, he's finding no, that I'm not, I'm not <laughs> yeah, he's not convinced, convinced. <laughs> I'm not convinced I think okay. we have different levels of choice so a fish has a different level of choice to a, a, um, a dog and therefore you can work within that uh, but parameter. do they have moral choices that's the question forget about choices we understood yeah. they have choices but do they have moral choices I don't think they choose anything based I'm on the fact sure. that this seems like the right thing to do mm. or this yeah. seems like the wrong thing to do. I want to be an evil fish. <laughs> but nobody, no, no individual wants to be evil, do they? Uh, no human being wants to be evil. They may want revenge. Uh, they may have a warped sense of morality yeah, and, they, and they, behave they, that way. Yeah, and they could have been molded towards that thinking as well. Mm. For being, for example, being abused in the childhood and things like that. Oh, but can I ask? Uh, mm, we haven't got time. Oh, we haven't got time. time. Sorry, we haven't Let's got time. Next, yeah. next because we've got another guest waiting for us, mm. uh, so we must move on to our next segment of the show. Uh, we need um, objections are often raised against prophets. Uh, the Holy Quran says, "Alas for my servants! There comes not a messenger to them, but they mock at him." And this was certainly the case with the Holy Prophet Sallam. And it seems to be the case with the Promised Messiah, Alayhi Salaam, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, founder of the Amdi Muslim community. And uh, what people tend to do is that there, there are two aspects. There's a theo- theological aspect and there are uh, um, character aspects or c- character assassination. And the Holy Prophet Sallam himself was very much accused of these sort of attacks. So was Jesus, alayhi salam. In Matthew, it is mentioned that people found criticism with him. Mm. And we know of Moses, uh, Pharaoh ridiculed Prophet Moses as mm. a magician, as a sorcerer, and these and things like that, though he presented his own magicians, etc. So uh, recently, there have been some debates taking place between Ahmadis and uh, some uh, uh, anti-Ahmadi preachers. And uh, some of our uh, Ahmadi brothers have been discussing with them. And one thing very clearly when you see the debates is that uh, when you debate with them, there's a lot of shouting going on and, and no one's basically listening. I find those sort of debates quite pointless, tell you the truth. But the Amdi Muslim community uh, engaged with those preachers and uh, invited them to discuss on a more <laughs> rational basis, you know, mm. to, to lay out the discussion, to listen to each other. It worked to some extent, uh, but their habits are habits, and they will shout over you and stuff. So, so, and they will have certain agendas. Now, the one I listened to was very well conducted. No, it was that, that was the one that was led by the Jamaat, and the uh, one of the guests on those uh, from the Muslim mm. community was Ray Lamma, an excellent young missionary. Mm-hmm. He's with us this afternoon. Uh, this this uh, af- okay. this afternoon, it's still morning. Mm. Uh, as Rahil. Can you hear me? Thank you very much for coming. A lot of people listen to those debates, by the way, and uh, uh, the Muslim uh, community's uh, panel uh, excelled, I I would say, in the way they conducted themselves. But it was a tough ordeal because uh, when you are discussing with uh, people who want to criticize the Jamaat, particularly as the Mizaglam Ahmed, Salam. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. sometimes don't want to listen to what you're saying. Um, now, on based on those discussions, I would, there's a set of questions I would like to ask you. 
Uh, it's not uncommon that when messengers make claims that he is uh, that he's that, that he's from Allah, that they that those claims are initially rejected. People don't accept it because it's a change, isn't it? So it's quite common that every prophet that comes and we just quoted a verse uh, that says that. Is, is that right? That's absolutely correct. But before I delve into uh, your questions, I think it's important um, for people to also understand why these debates are conducted and whether because a lot of people might think that it's, it's a useless exercise mm. because if you're speaking to some people who are not even listening to you yep. what's the point of speaking to them so i mean the thing is that from from i mean it's, it's been some time that uh, there's been there's been a campaign against the Ahmadiyya muslim community especially online uh, you know with regards to mudslinging and in talking about the character of the promise uh, promise facade the founder of the Ahmadiyya muslim community yeah and people the general public have not heard our side no it's just one-way story, yeah. uh, just allegations, you know, they upon privacy upon him, just as it was the case of the prophets, and we all discussed now before. So there has to come a time. And, and also, you, you've got to realize that if we do our programs from, from our shows, such as MTA, The Voice of Islam, and all of that, mm. it, does, it does reach people, but it, it, it only reaches, uh, you know, a certain, a certain type of Yeah, absolutely, correct. A certain audience, right? Yeah. Whereas on their platform, there's, there's a different type of audience that we, we, mm. we also need to tap into and to realize. And the second element to that was our own youth. Mm. Our own youth, they go to colleges and universities and, 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 and they see these people. And, and yeah. if they feel there's nobody to respond and we just sit back, then yeah. that, that would also not be the right thing. So, so far, the, the feedback has been very positive mm. uh, you know, going forward. Uh, but I think coming, coming, coming back, back to your question that you asked, about uh, how our message is treated. And, and you, you beautifully man mentioned the verse of the Quran which says, <laughs> that a messenger is not sent to them, <clears throat> but he is mocked mm. and ridiculed. Yeah. Right? S- similar was said to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, as well in chapter 41 44, where Allah said, Nothing is said to thee but what was said to the messengers before thee. Mm. Thy Lord is indeed the master of great forgiveness and also the master of, 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 of painful chastisement. So what we know that there is a common theme in the Quran when yeah. you read the, the Quran, or also the previous scriptures, <clears throat> when the messengers come from their own people, mm-hmm. you know, from, from from among them, they they reject them and they laugh at them and they and, and 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 they don't accept them. But the reality and and what the Quran presents as 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 a sign for the truthfulness is the life before that claim. Right. And that's the beauty of it because if they weren't liars before. Why is it all of a sudden this man just woken up in the morning mm. and says, God has told me that I am a messenger of God, right? So there's a whole character uh, of that prophet that is, 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 that, that is presented to these people. And we find this uh, one example of that in Sahih Bukhari, where the prophet, Sahih Bukhari being the, <clears throat> the most authentic most book. Most authentic of, of the sayings of the Holy Prophet, yes. Yes, absolutely. And it is said that when the prophet, peace be upon him, was told and warned your tribe, and warn your tribe of near kindred, one the Rashid Akrabin, he went onto this mountain, South Hafa, I mean, those who have gone to uh, do Umrah and Hajj, they will know where that is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he shouted to all of these different clans, and he says, oh, Sabaha, and oh, you know, other such clans, to, and they gather, you know, they gather around him, and, and, and he says, do you see, if I was to inform you that there was a great army proceeding, you know, uh, from the side of this mountain, will you believe me? Mm-hmm. And they said, they said, "Qalu ma jarabna alayka illa sesedkan," or in other tradition, it says, "Ma jarabna alayka kadkadiban." That we have never found you to be a liar. Right. You've always stated the truth. And then he said, "Then let me tell you that I'm a plain warner to you from a 
from a coming severe punishment. Mm-hmm. And on that, they said, and Abu Lab particularly, mm-hmm. um, may you perish, you gathered us only for this reason, right? So, 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 so the point that we're trying to make here is there's yeah. a common theme and the Quran tells us that in chapter 38 and verse 5 as well, that they wonder that a warner has come to them from among themselves. And the disbelievers say, this is a, magi- this is a magician and a great liar. Zahirun mm-hmm. Kazab. Yeah. The same person that's referred to as Sadiq, a truthful and I mean a trustworthy person. Yeah. The, and all of a sudden, the, just the, the turn, they twist. Just yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It, was that the same with the promised Messiah, Islam, then? Uh, was, was he recognized as someone truthful and knowledgeable? Because the Holy Prophet Sallam, was known as Al-Amin and Al-Sadiq as well, the truthful and, and the pious one. Uh, so what, what, was, what was the background to the promised Messiah? How was he looked upon by, by future opponents of his? Absolutely. I mean, we have one of the examples that we presented in, in one of these debates as well. Um, there, 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 there's a saying in the Arabic. It says, "Al-Fadlu ma that the greatest testimony is that that is given by a an, an opponent, right? So we have someone named Muhammad Hussein Batalvi, who was one of his greatest, you know, uh, opponents after he claimed to be the Messiah and Mahdi. He and and, and if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Hussein Batalvi a, a, a student with the Mizaklama in his younger days? Absolutely. So he's he, he he's seen his character and his life and, and, and who he was as an individual. As an individual, uh, yeah. Exactly. Very and qualified to make comments about his early life. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and this this is what we present and, and uh, you know presented on that debate as well that he not only mentioned that you know the book Brahim Ahmadiyya, mm-hmm. which was which was which was to him the greatest service to Islam since the companions he said, right? And, this is Batalvi writing. Said, this is Batalvi writing about Promised Messiah's books. Yes, he okay. wrote a 200-page review right. of that book, 200-page review wow. of that book, Rahim Ahmadiyya, hmm. and said this is the greatest service to Islam done since the Companions. And he hmm. said, if, if you think this is an, uh, this is an exaggeration, yeah. then bring me an example of that kind. Because of the time in which the Promised Messiah, peace upon him, appeared, and of course, those who know history, <clears throat> the coming of the Christian missionaries and the conversion of hundreds of thousands of Muslims to Christianity and all of that, hmm. that context, this book came, hmm. uh, and it also answered the, you know, the, the allegations from the Aryas and all of that. So, so the point that's being mentioned here is he he writes a 200-page review and 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 he didn't he doesn't just say this. There there is a more important point. He says that until today, the ilham, the revelations of the Promised Messiah, whether they were in English, whether they were in Urdu, mm. or whether they were in Arabic, they have all come to be true, and right. not a single one has been you know has 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 been a lie. Right. right? So, so the question we raised is why is it the case that and the only thing that changed and we see. Uh, from the previous messengers as well, from from the Quran and the examples that we mentioned, mm-hmm. it's only the claim. It's just the claim that they they have said we've been sent by Allah the Almighty. Right. So so this is something that that needs to be understood. But again, that the most important point is when we give the examples of previous messengers from the Holy Quran. Yeah. Uh, of course, they are they are they are and they are different types of prophethood, and that also needs to be explained to those who are you having you are having this conversation with. Mm. Because the issue with non the friends is that when you speak about coming of a prophet after Rasulullah. It's like a it's like a closed door, you know. They yes. they, they don't want to listen at all. Whether when they also believe that a prophet is going to come, yeah. uh, you know, the Isa Islam is going to descend physically yeah. as a prophet of God. Okay. So this is this is also very very important. Indeed, we were discussing earlier about Allah putting a seal on their hearts. Uh, this is exactly <laughs> what they do about death of Jesus and Khatam al that they put a seal on their hearts to listen to us on those arguments. I, I certainly see that point. And also about when when you were talking about 
before they claim to profithood, they speak in favor and then they change. It's a bit like when I became a manager, my staff who were very good with me hated me once I became a manager. <laughs> let's just hope uh, Asan Saab doesn't make a claim now. No, that's right. <laughs> uh, Raheel, I've got... Uh, I, I think I, one, 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 one thing I want to add to yes, this. Please. I think it's very important to, to, to understand that we're not only presenting this as the, the ultimate evidence of the truthfulness of the Prophet, no, of or any prophet. Yeah. This is one of the truthfulness. That, yes. you know, Allah the Almighty says in the Quran that you know, their, their success that, you know, Wallahu nas and their protection, hmm. that, uh, you know, throughout their life, despite the opposition and persecution, it is, is one of the signs of their truthfulness. Then their prophecies are one of the signs of their truthfulness. So there are many things. We're many not just things. saying that this yeah. is the only thing. Because okay. someone can say, oh, okay, um, now, just as you've given an example, right, of, of, of yourself, people started exposing you. Hmm. That doesn't mean you are a prophet, right? No. So, so the point that we're trying to make here is, this is one of the signs Allah has mentioned for a prophet in the Quran, but this is not the only sign. There are many other, many signs, other signs which uh, you know, proves that the person is from God. Indeed. I've got Daniel Kalun, one of our missionaries. You might know him as well and believe my co-host, uh, who might interject with a question or two. I've got Daniel who just wants to interject with a question. Yeah, actually, um, I wanted to ask, a qu- I wanted to play the devil's advocate for the benefit Please, of um, thank you. the general populace, yeah, the viewers, like the listeners. But actually, I think Rahil Saab uh, pretty much just uh, might have just answered it. But ah. if, if if you care to elaborate on it, the question was, Rahil Saab, in, in two parts, actually. The first being that if we take this, um, let's say this law or this rule that in order to, um, that that the verse that Asin Saab mentioned earlier, um, at the beginning yeah. of this discussion, that all prophets have been mocked, they've been ridiculed, right? Um, yeah. And obviously the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was ridiculed and mocked, the same as the Promised Messiah, Islam as well. Um, arguably, right, uh, wouldn't yeah. say the followers of Baha'i argue the same point, um, that Baha'u'llah yeah. was uh, mocked and ridiculed, and he still is, right? In the same manner as the Promised Messiah, or the Mormons might say the same about Joseph Smith, right? And the second part yeah, of that question yeah. is that, um, I'm, I'm going to be a bit cheesy and quote James Bond here, 007, that it's a matter of perspective. <laughs> um, because uh, it, I say that because it's a matter of perspective because the followers will might see might see the previous life before the claim in a different light and a different manner. So the followers of Baha'u'llah might see his previous life in a very noble manner and we might see it as questionable. And the same goes for Joseph Smith as well. Even though he might have had uh, 30 wives, right? And we see that as questionable. But his followers think that that's an okay thing to do or a good thing to do even. So they might consider that to be a a good act, right? So it's a matter of perspective. Loaded question, yeah, but yeah. if you can just elaborate. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. That, 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 that's a wonderful question. That, 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 that's exactly what I alluded to earlier, that the ridicule or, or persecution in itself is not the only sign of truthfulness. Hmm. Well, this is what the promise of Messiah, peace be upon him, has said, because he's not just presented this as a sign of his truthfulness, but you have to see their entire life, right? What they have achieved throughout their life and after what they've told about the community to be. For hmm. that, that, that's why I made sure that I had men, men, men mentioned this point. Because no, that you, you, you're absolutely right. Just the ridicule part and, 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 and something being questionable to others, so, you know, that, that is, of course, it, it can be sub-subjective sub, 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 for, you know, for people. Yeah. But the point that we're trying to, trying, trying to make here is you have to study the entirety of their life. And also, after he has passed away, what is the outcome of their mission? Now, the point I, 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 I want to emphasize, and if you, you can basically say, yeah, their community also live, and they, you know, they have a community and all these things. But, mm-hmm. but in, in comparison to, because then falsehood is also there. Because when, when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was told that, 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 that the purpose of the Prophet was to, 
uh, that Islam would excel over all other religions. And, and the, one of the understanding was that no other religion would remain. Whereas the other, there are other you know, um, verses of the Quran that tell us that the Jews and the Christians will remain till the end of time. Right? Yeah. So, you, so, so the point that we're trying to make here is, yes, there are prophecies, very specific prophecies, uh, with regards to the truthfulness of Ahmadiyyat. And Thomas Sayyid mentioned 300 years, when, 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 when the majority will, would, would turn towards. And the Third World War being one of the factors that would you know, play into it and all of these mm. things. So, so the point we're, we're, we're trying to make here, yes, that is the case that, you know, um, that just, you cannot just present this would it be yeah. fair, Raheel, to say that uh, th- there's a list of uh, a list of a list of things that you need to take off uh, to to verify someone's claim, and so you've got to start taking those boxes off, and uh, the character of the of the person before and after are one of those boxes that you have to take. Yes, that's correct. That would yeah. be a good. That would be a correct statement, of course. Yes. Okay. Good. What about these preachers that you come across now, who are coming uh, on on YouTube channel? They're, they're using social media very well to trying to propagate, and and some of them are quite good. Uh, my only objection to some of their ways is that they don't let the other person speak properly they, they shout over them and that's where it becomes very yeah. hard to continue to listen but these preachers some of them are very well versed they, they, they seem to have read some of the pro- writings of the promised messiah but they seem to cherry pick if I'm not mistaken would you agree with that they tend to cherry pick certain lines or things that have been said and uh, yeah. and don't use the full uh, terminology or the explanation that the Promised Messiah himself may have written about, and some of our Ahmadis have not read it themselves, hence they might get misled yeah. to that from them. I think this is a big, big point that you mentioned, and the last point I would address earlier. This is a big responsibility of, 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 of especially the youth of our community and, and also elders, hmm. that they read the books of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, and he has emphasized this a lot, because that's the only way you're going to be able to reply. Uh, yes, there are issues with regards to uh, timing, and the, the point is when you go into their streams, they say, oh, we're going to raise an allegation and you only have two minutes to respond. Yeah, yeah. And when you try to respond within that two minutes, even then you're in, uh, interjected and interrupted. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a very difficult exercise in that, in, in that case. But the point is at least you're replying to the allegations and people are seeing this, these, uh, you know, um, these interde- interjections and in, inter- inter- interruptions. Yeah. But on our platform, when they, do come, when they, did, they did come to our platform, they, they, that were we the they were given ample time. They were given ample time. And we did not even we did not even put up a timer. We said, look, finish no. in your own time. When you're when you're done, let us know. Mm. Uh, you know. So this and, and also one last point that I want to make is yeah, please. Uh, intention is very important. So one can have, you know, there, there are many uh, you know Western scholars who criticize Islam. They've they've spent all of their lives, right? They think they're scholars in Islam, but the reality is the, the intention of going in and studying Islam was to find faults. Mm. The last is about the Quran. And the verses of the Quran that that you will bihi kathiran wa yahdi bihi kathira. He says that many are misguided by it and many are guided by it. So the question would be how how is it the case that Quran is a source of misguidance for people? Yeah. Right. That would be the question. But the point is that's not the case. It's mm. your intention of going in, cherry picking verses, not knowing the context of what is being spoken about, or taking one statement. Because if you're studying the life or or, or writings of someone, you have to collectively study it. Mm. Right. Because he might have stated, you know, at, at five or six other, other places, explaining that statement, yeah. wh- what he had meant there. So this is very, very important. And all of these points, of course, con- uh, respecting your time as well, 
Um, I no. think this is. I think I've briefly covered. No, that. no. Thank you very much for being so concise and so sharp on this. Uh, so many more questions, but we might not have time for all of them. Uh, and and this point you make about cherry picking, a perfect example is when the Christians or non-Muslims talk about yeah. uh, the Quran saying kill all infidels uh, I've had many Absolutely. a time where I've sat down with someone who and pulled out that verse but made them read the verses before and after and they've ch- totally changed their view about the Quranic verse yeah. uh, and that's a perfect example of it uh, what about uh, the the line of attack they seem not want to discuss the theology particularly about death of Jesus or yeah. the Khatam, Khatam in the booth, although they want to discuss that but they want to start off yeah. with the character and we, we started with that why is it that they want to... Uh, because one of the things they accuse is that the Holy Prophet used very harsh language, particularly this verse that the uh, Zurat al-Baghaya uh, term, yeah. which is you, which, which, which even some Ahmadis aren't familiarized with, that uh, why was that yeah. term used, and is that the only meaning of it, and what did the Promised Messiah actually say about that verse, about that word? Thank you so much for that. Yeah, so um, I think the the... the, the the point you mentioned earlier with regards to them you know, mudslinging and talking about the character, hmm. that's been the case with all of the disbelievers. Yes. And that's the example that we were giving before. And that, right? that, and that that's started there. at the time of the Promised Messiah Islam as well. They started well, mudslinging well, yeah. at him at the time, yeah. Exactly. So so, they, so when we address them, we say, look, the the point of contention between Ahmadis and non-Ahmadis is, is the death of Isa, hmm. right? You say he's going to come back, we say he has died. And the conversation then begins from onwards. Because if you prove that uh, Jesus, peace be upon him, is alive, yes. is up in the heavens, according to the Quran and the sources of evidence from hadith and stuff, mm. you don't need to discuss uh, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, may, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, or any other claimant. Yeah. Because you've already proven it. So since you've proven it, you don't need to discuss the character or anything. Yeah. Whether it's uh, Ahsan Ahmadi or Raheel or or you know whoever's in the studio claims mm. to be the promised messiah it's automatically out of the question out of the question so that's exactly. why we say come to the principles first yeah. come to the principles discuss the aqaid first and then we, and, and then and then they say you're running away from the character we said if you were running away we would never come to your stream mm. we've been coming to your streams we've called you as well we've discussed it on our our uh, you know platform as well the character of the promised messiah peace be upon him that's not an issue for us uh, at all mm. and now coming to the particular verge of the riyad al baghaya i want to uh, you know, mentioned that, first of all, is harsh language, I think the question should be, can a prophet use harsh language? Uh, you know, uh, is it even permissible? Because they're, they're the ones, that the Holy Allah Almighty says uh, about the prophet, he hmm. is upon the greatest of morals, right? And, 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 and we expect that prophets don't use, you know, uh, swear words and all of these things. This is, this, this is the first question, as principle we need to establish. Now the point is that there's a difference between stating truth and vulgar language. And this is how the Promised Messiah Islam has, ex- has, has explained it. Okay. He said stating the truth and, and vulgar, vulgar language are two separate things. Now, in the Holy Quran, we have sev- sev- various examples where Allah Almighty says, uh, They are the worst of creatures, right? Quran refers to these people as monkeys and, 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 and pigs. Hmm. And we also have examples from the Bible, Matthew 16, 4 tells where Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So the point here is, is this a vulgar language or what is it? So the point is that the disbelievers who have given ample evidence for the truthfulness of a prophet, they go to the extent of not just rejection, 
and opposing him uh, and, and ridiculing him and stuff like that. But they persecute him, okay? And they make sure that, that this, this individual is persecuted in, in, persecuted in a way and his companions, that they don't, you know, reach any fruition and, and, and they are not successful. Now, particularly coming to this word of Zuriyatul Bagaya that the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has used, he has not used it at one particular place. He has used it at many places. Okay. But, but he himself has translated it in Malfuzat okay. for an opponent of his, and he says, O oh, rebellious man. So Bagha, Yabri in the Arabic language is the one who transgresses. And from that, yes, one translation of the word Bagaya <clears throat> does mean a prostitute because from the very essence of the word, that is taken that she, is, she transgresses, right? Mm-hmm. From the commandments of God. Of, of not delving in adultery and all of that. Okay. But Turiyatul Bagaya, the, the, the word from the society Peace Reponim has used, is not used in a, in a literal sense that their mothers, uh, God forbid, were prostitutes. But this is referring to their internal state, their spiritual state, that these people are devoid of guidance and, and, and they transgress. And I want to give you one example from the Quran before respecting uh, you know, time, time as well. Yeah. In chapter 33, verse 41, Allah Almighty categorically tells us, and this is the famous verse about Khatim al-Nabiyyin, mm-hmm. Allah Almighty categorically tells us that only your biological child is your, ch- is, is, is your child. Right? It's with, this is with regards to Zaid bin Sabit and the mar- marriage with Zainab, radiallahu anhu. When, when he divorced right. her, the Prophet married her, and they said, look, he's marrying uh, you know, the daughter, uh, the, the wife of his son. Yep. Okay? This verse was revealed, and Allah said this concept is... is uh, is 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 basically flawed. You you you've just made this up. There's no such thing as you know um, as taking up a son and he'll be your actual son. But 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 rather, Magana Muhammadun Muhammad is not the father of any of your men. Basically establishing that only your biological son is your actual son. Actual son. Yeah. And then if we come to chapter 11, which is uh, who, uh, chapter Hud, verse 47, when Noah alayhi was promised by God Almighty, he said that he would save your progeny. Okay. And we know very well from the Quran that when, when the wrath of God came in form of a flood, his son wasn't saved. No. Right? <clears throat> and, and then Noah asked uh, Allah, he says, Oh Allah, you promised me that my son will be saved. And Allah responded to him. He said, Qala, ya Nuhu, innahu min ahlik. He said, Oh Noah, he's surely not of thy family. No. He is indeed a man of unrighteous conduct. Yes. So we, have, so, so we have established that Quran says only your biological son is your actual son. Mm. But in the second verse, Allah is saying, He's not your son. What does that mean? What it means is that in the above context, Allah Dilmati is speaking of in biological sense. Absolutely. But in the second context, he's not speaking in biological sense. He's explaining that at times, even people from the families of a prophet can transgress and can be unrighteous. Therefore, they are not from your family. And we have examples of that from the life of the prophet where he says, that uh, Salmanu Farsi is from Ahlebayt. Ahlebayt, we know, yes. are the people from the family, right? Correct. But he wasn't, he wasn't actually from the Ahlebayt. So similarly, the, now to explain the concept of Zuriyatul Bagaya, mm-hmm. this is referring to their own spiritual state and not a, an objection upon their mother. Correct. Right? Yeah. Similarly, we gave the example of another example. We said Zuriyat, this, uh, this is the last one I would make. Okay. There, 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 there's also an idiom in the Arabic language which says Zuriyatul Shaitan, right? that you're, uh, you're the progeny of Satan. We're not saying he's literally the progeny of Satan. Mm. What, what, what we're basically referring to is spiritual state. Indeed. Right? So yes. This is the point uh, that you have to understand. And, you have to, and one of the most important rules is that the author has to explain what he means when he writes something. And the promised Messiah does that amply, doesn't he? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Rahil, there's so much to discuss on this topic, and we, I know we've rushed you into giving those answers, uh, and there's so much to but, but at least it caps, it caps it short and concise for people to comprehend it very quickly, uh, which sometimes I think is, is the key to understanding things. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, look, continue with your great works, and I, I hope we can get you back on the show again uh, to discuss other aspects of the debates and, and the accusations that are made against the promised Messiah, because I think it's important for people to hear the, the truth uh, or at least from our perspective, because I often say to to Muslims who come and accuse the Promised Messiah that, for example, if a Christian wants to find out about Islam, should he go to a Christian yeah. priest to find out or should he go to a Muslim as well? Because Ahmadiyya teaches you to go to both and you can make your own judgment. Uh, and many of these uh, opponents of Ahmadiyya don't go to us, can't come to us. They just go to their mullahs and take whatever's been told to them via that route, which is not the way to find our truth. As in Surah Jarat, Allah says, when, even when, uh, when you are confronted with unrighteous news, investigate it fully. Absolutely. Indeed. Zakallah for having me. Thank you so much. No, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, interesting conversation, gentlemen, and I think very important one uh, in light of the debates that are going on nowadays. Mm. And uh, uh, I hope that our listeners found that useful. We're now going to move to our sports uh, with Shahid Khan waiting for us. Shahid, assalamu alaikum. Walaikum uh, assalam. Premiership, hotting up now. Uh, we've had some <laughs> we've had some interesting results um, yeah absolutely um, well Arsenal Arsenal drew yesterday yes Arsenal drew and Brighton lost and yeah. Manchester City are playing today the only team undefeated so far mm. what do you make of the results yesterday no that's not quite right what about the great Tottenham team oh. are they undefeated <laughs> yeah, <a few. laughs> no, I meant wins. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, 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 don't forget. No, no, that. You meant, yeah, no, I mean, undefeated. They are undefeated. Yeah, no, no, they're right. undefeated. Uh, what I meant was the only one with a hundred percent record. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's yes. right. There, indeed. You have to right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, it's early days. Let's let's be honest about it. And the, the, like you mentioned, the fact that the result, an outstanding result, was Fulham's result at uh, Arsenal yesterday, mm. and there were ten men Fulham at that match. And before, in the previous outing, we lost three 0 at home, oh. so against uh, Brentford side. So, at the moment, it's early days, and the teams are actually questioning themselves. I, when the manager is not sure as to what players they've got and what will they they will have in the coming weeks or end of this week, I think when the transfer window closes. So there's a lot. I mean, at the moment, the, the results are going uh, all haywire at the moment, and uh, as the Premiership has been in the past, and so how it will pan out later on, it really depends as to what really is going on in the footballing world at the moment. That the Saudi Pro League is just blowing everything out of all proportion at the moment. Mm. What about uh, you? Arsene mentioned the match between uh, Brighton and West Ham. Did you find that a surprise, Brighton going down 3-1? And West Ham at the top of the table. Yes. Mm. Yes, indeed, yes. I think that uh, was a result that I wouldn't have actually predicted or one doesn't predict those. I think West Ham are a side that are more settled than most at the moment and uh, with some of the acquisitions from Southampton and so forth. And I think they had, they had, Brighton had uh, 70% or more than 70% of the possession. <laughs> but well, they weren't well, able to score. <laughs> I think the possession at the moment, I seem to find it in a lot of sports, at the mo- well, yeah. I, team sports I'm talking about here, possession doesn't mean a lot. I mean, it does obviously, 
possession is, I think, is a fact that one has to really think of. And if you have possession in your heart, within your box for that matter, that still counts as possession. Mm. So that's, uh, I don't think it's a very good indicator as to how the game has gone. Uh, even for that matter, you're, bring, you're, you're breaking up. Sorry, brother. Can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Yes, yeah. Sorry, I yeah. Think, yeah, I was saying that the statistics, as a matter of fact, at the end of the day, it's the goals that matter. And I think uh, that's what it boils down to in the end. Mm. And uh, United fighting back? United is a funny side at the moment. I mean, uh, the result at Tottenham last week, they didn't look like a team really in uh, transition or in, in the sense that they were as if they were building. Some of the players seemed disinterested and so forth. Uh, and even yesterday, like they went 2-0 down, but it's a great comeback for that matter. But plenty of controversy as to whether there were penalties and this, that, the other. So, mm, they were sending the off, they they? Yeah, absolutely. And mm. in the end, they got the result uh, that matters at home. And it was a great booster for them, uh, having got that last week. And today's clash between uh, City and Newcastle, how do you see that? Uh, City Newcastle and Sheffield. City and Sheffield and oh. Newcastle and Liverpool. Oh, Newcastle yeah, the big one, yeah. Newcastle, Newcastle and Liverpool, Liverpool is the big one, absolutely. The one, I, I'm just having a look at the statistics on that match. Liverpool, is, uh, in that fixture, Liverpool have won four out of their five and one has been drawn. So Newcastle are not on that front foot at the moment. Although at home today, I would not imagine them to get the upper hand. Mm. But in the last match as well, they were, it was a goalless match as well. So I think Newcastle are the ones who will be looking for victory and it might well be playing to Liverpool's hands. And uh, that's how Liverpool goes. Uh, there's plenty of speculation as to whether this will be Salah's last game. So mm. also that's been coming. Oh, good. right. Yeah, yes. that's, that's, that's another Ali story. Lala, coming. I think he's going. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the cricket now? The World Cup is uh, the ODI World Cup is on its uh, uh, is closing in. Uh, lots of warm up matches being played at the, or, or about to be played. Um, how do you see the ODIs coming? How are the teams warming up? Pakistan versus Afghanistan, very good series, but uh, Pakistan the winners. Yeah, indeed, Pakistan have gone to uh, become the world first ranked, you know, the top ranked team in the world at the moment. Although that doesn't count for much when you see that. Some of the results, I mean, Afghanistan was just blown away. I mean, this was in Sri yeah. Lanka, no doubt. Mm. Uh, now they're going to the Asian Cup this week, for instance, uh, being played in Pakistan and Sri Lanka. And uh, this would be a good point, or at least will be a good uh, warm-up games, like you mentioned, for the World Cup, which is in October and November. Right. And that's going to be in India. So uh, Ben Stokes has come out of retirement. I mean, that victory of theirs against uh, New Zealand four years ago at, at Lords, I think it's a memorable one. Indeed. And that's something that I think he has come back to, even as a batsman. Mm. So people are building that, and there'll be a 10-nation game, 10-nations World Cup. Uh, that could be quite interesting in India, and obviously the sellout crowds and so forth will be something that uh, the cricket world will be looking forward to. Indeed. Uh, and when we talk about Pakistan, India, the politics never comes out of it. Pakistan will be going to the World Cup, uh, playing on the 14th, I believe. But in the Asia Cup, are India going to Pakistan? Uh, India are not going to Pakistan, no. I think that game is going to be held in Sri Lanka, I believe. Or, ah, yeah, right. yeah, I think so. Yeah. So that's, those those politics are still going on. In fact, this Asian Cup was to, uh, granted to Pakistan to hold, but because of India's um, muscles in terms mm -hmm. of finance and so forth, uh, they're part of the games are now being played in Pakistan. In fact, the first game in Nepal are playing against Pakistan of all the teams. Mm. So uh, in the end, it will be in Sri Lanka. 
So okay. it might be that they are playing a few games uh, against each other, which is something that I think the cricketing world always looks forward to. Yeah. And it, with this format and the Asian Cup, there might be more than one game against each other, depending as to how they both do in the world, right. uh, in, the world in the Asian Cup. And a quick prediction for the World Cup: Who do you think could yeah. do it? Early days. I think the, uh, in the Indian, I think uh, the fact that it's being held in India, India will be the top team, our uh, favourite. Yeah. But it's an ODI. I mean, it's not unlike the 2020. I feel that teams can build on it, and it will be the, how they progress in the tournament itself. India, my India and Australia probably the top two. Yeah. But Pakistan, as usual, are the dark horses. Okay. Thank you very much, Shahid. Assalamualaikum to everyone, and Jazakallah for being on the Weekend World Show with us and Emily.